Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. Now we've... (laughs) You happy to be here? We have promised that we will keep this intro short because the episode was a little bit of a longer one and we assume if you've clicked on this episode, you're most likely (laughs) feeling like utter crap, like dog balls. So we're going to cut to the chase pretty quickly, but... How's your week been? My week has been really good. How has your week been? <laughs> really great. I, there's too much pressure to get through this quickly now can't and I think can't about think about what has happened in my week. No, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Do you know what? Let's just go straight to mum hacks because I'm really freaking out that people don't want to hear the intro I'm and they, really need some, they need some tips. All right, so this mum hack came in from a friend of mine. She messaged me because our children go to the same daycare and she said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that I just found out about this. There is a cleanup song that they put on at school and daycare. I've and heard about all this. the kids clean up. I put it on at home and he literally spent five minutes cleaning up like a tornado, but a good one, the whole lounge room. <laughs> a good tornado. <laughs> yeah, a positive one. The whole lounge room was clean and she was in utter belief. So then I tried to do it and I put it on. I said to Mia, can you put the cleanup song on? And Yumi just sat there watching the cleanup song. And then when I told her, I sent a photo and videoed it to her, she goes, oh, my God, Jade, that's the wrong cleanup song. It wasn't even the right one. So anyway, I'm yet to try it myself. Another tip that I've been sent before by uh, teachers as well to get them to clean is you say that there is a mystery item in the room and the person that puts that item away gets a prize at the end of it. So this is for older kids. Like I don't think even Poppy's age would grasp that concept. (laughs) But you say, okay, clean up and whoever puts away the special item, they get like a treat at the end or a prize or just like you win like you know that like we don't need to do much more than tell them that they win and you can just make up while they're cleaning whoever's your favorite for the day go oh yeah it's definitely gonna be that random gray sock um as they put it away and apparently it works every time every time it works every time 60% of the time (laughs) it works every time now I've got a rude or fabulous which actually relates to last week's mum hack slash rude or fabulous is it the brown sock that's on your microphone or (laughs) no everyone we we use this thing called a pop shield and it helps so that all of our P's and B's are Sophie's like got a lot of them. when we speak and look, mine has broken. So right now I have a dirty ass sweaty sock on top of my microphone that, that does the same thing, but I went to F45 this morning bitch. before I came here and used the same sock, but it's doing the trick and people it have, doesn't actually smell. People have morning sickness. Just Oh yeah. Sorry. I won't continue. speak about dirty socks. Anyway, someone wrote in, in response to us saying that you can speed up the podcast <laughs> to 1.5 times if you don't have as much time. Anyway, she 
she wrote in saying, oh, my God, I agree with the mum hack of listening to podcasts on 1.5 speed. I'm so used to it now. I just think that that's how you girls talk. Every now and then I insist my husband listens to one of them on road trips, like about introducing foods, toilet training, bedtime tips, etc. and he makes me put it back to the normal speed. And you both sound so stoned. <laughs> You both sound so stoned to me, like you speak so slowly because I'm used to the fast up version. (laughs) How do you know what we sound like stoned? Moving on. Now, today we are talking all things morning sickness, why the hell it's even called morning sickness because it's all day, all night, evening, middle of the day sickness. So pregnancy sickness and hyperemesis. We're chatting with Dr. Timmy. It's been a while since he's been in the studio, but he's back. back And we hope you enjoy it and love going out there to anyone who is suffering with this right now. Also, I want to just say congratulations and well done to everyone that Googled how to spell, I can't even say it, on Danzatron. Yeah, because everyone got it right in the question (laughs) box. So well done, ladies. Well done. Guys, it's been a solid 10 minutes and I can't <laughs> shut Jade and Dr. Timmy up. They've talked about everything under the sun except for what we're meant to be talking about. Dr. Timmy, welcome back to the potty. It has been too long. Oh, much too long. We were catching up. After the flack I copped over the induction episode, I'm proud to be back. But another beautiful <laughs> little granddaughter since you last spoke to me, little Dulcie, who's two months old. Beautiful little girl. So I'm happy to be back and we're here about morning sickness. So I'm proud to be with Sophie because really if there's an expert on earth on vomiting, it's Sophie. So I I trust that she'll be hosting this episode and I'll just ask her a few questions. Goodbye. I don't think I've quite mastered it yet. I mean, Nick and I are starting to talk about the fact that we would like to have another child next year. And Jade may roll her eyes at me because she actually knows the reality of having three children. But the thing that worries me is not the three children themselves. It's getting through pregnancy with two other children. And yet, so hopefully I can get some tips to just prepare for the next time and maybe even go into the next pregnancy, kidding myself that using these tips I'll be able to get through it unscathed. Perhaps we could ask Shimmy what's worse, being pregnant or having three kids? Shimmy, that's my mum. So let's introduce Timmy quickly. If you haven't listened to any of other Dr. Timmy's episodes, not not quite sure what you've been doing. Yeah, exactly. Rude, not fabulous. He is an obstetrician, a gynecologist and a fertility specialist and he is also mine, Sophie's dad. Shimmy is my mum. And we can't ask Shimmy about that because she's one of those pregnancy unicorns that just sailed through pregnancy and she was working as a nurse at the time and she was like, oh, yeah, you know, when I was pregnant, night shifts were a bit difficult because I was a little bit tired. I'm like, night shifts? Like, you couldn't even get me there, let alone through the shift. So, no, we're not asking Shimmy for advice on that. But I am here with an ulterior motive because, of course, Sophie's going to have five beautiful little granddaughters for me. And so she's had two shocking pregnancies with morning sickness. So I guess my opening line is after your second pregnancy, you will never get morning sickness again. Your pregnancies will be a breeze. There'll be no morning sickness and look forward to your third, fourth and fifth babies. Just Wow. Look at you predicting her future. Jade, we're going to throw the floor to you. You've had three pregnancies and you've defied what Timmy has just said. 
Tell us about yours. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. I've had hyperemesis three times, but for the people that don't know what hyperemesis is, could you please explain? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone's heard of the term morning sickness and most people would have heard of hyperemesis, especially since the Duchess had it in all three of her pregnancies. And I guess Duchess Jade, yeah, me. There's, <laughs> there's a spectrum of nausea and vomiting in pregnancy which would start with the mildest symptoms of nausea and perhaps occasionally vomiting and right through to extremely severe vomiting requiring hospitalisation, intravenous fluids and sometimes even quite disastrous problems with people's electrolytes and getting really, really very unwell, even to the point where people would be so unwell in the pregnancy that they would consider termination of the pregnancy because they're so unwell. I don't think we should try and draw an absolute line where morning sickness ends or it's sometimes called nausea and vomiting in pregnancy ends and hyperemesis starts. I think it's just that it's a spectrum of severity starting with mild and ending with extremely severe. Oh, it gives me just like shivers. Nausea. It gives me nausea <laughs> thinking about it again. I feel like until someone has truly experienced it, I mean, maybe you've been around enough of it, Dad, that you can imagine what it is like, but it is honestly debilitating. And I'm so glad that you brought up people considering termination because I think one of the things that gets to you the most outside of the sickness itself is then the guilt that you also feel for not enjoying the pregnancy. And I remember each time I got pregnant, I I can't keep a secret unless I really have to, to save myself. So most of my friends and family were knowing that I was pregnant pregnant, like as the pee was still drying on the stick. (laughs) So everyone knew I was pregnant. And the first response is always like, oh, you must be so excited. How exciting. And excitement was actually the last feeling or emotion that I had. And it was really, really dark. And I felt incredibly, you know, ungrateful and guilty for not being excited about this baby. And I think that's one of the common things that so many women say is that they're like, I'm not enjoying being pregnant. I feel no bond towards the baby that I'm pregnant with currently because I'm not enjoying it so much. And I just want to put it out there to say you're not alone in those feelings. You will still hopefully, I mean, I have, I can't speak for everyone, have a bond with your baby once it's born and somewhat forget about what you've gone through now or just been through if you're out the other side of it. Yeah. I mean, this should be really the most important part of today's conversation. I mean, it's all well and good. We can go through the management of morning sickness and we can talk about the medication that are available and how to take them. But I really think that the most important thing we could talk on on a podcast like this would be the importance of support, the importance of understanding, the importance of having compassion for people who have this problem because you're right, it's such a common throwaway line, oh, you're feeling sick, oh, that's a good sign. Yeah, I remember you saying that to me quite a few times, (laughs) And all someone's got to think back to is... um, If somebody perhaps woke up with some food poisoning or woke up with a bad hangover and felt terrible, 
And just to imagine you would wake up to that every day for weeks, if not months on end. And, you know, as terrible as it is to compare poor people who are on chemotherapy treatments and they're feeling lethargy, malaise, depression, as well as nausea and vomiting, not being able to look forward to a meal. It's just a terrible state to be in. And and there's definitely cases of women who've had severe morning sickness and hyperemesis gravidarum who have had basically post-traumatic stress from their pregnancy. And um, it's taken them a long time to recover from their pregnancy. And it can also exhibit itself in severe marital problems because a partner may not understand just how lethargic and unwell feeling their pregnant partner is. And, you know, you're meant to be happy about being pregnant. Imagine putting this in the context of someone who's had infertility treatment and they've been trying for perhaps a year or two to get pregnant. Then they've undergone invasive, expensive, stressful treatment to achieve a pregnancy. And then basically from the day of the positive pregnancy test, the pregnant partner has felt absolutely dreadful and can barely get out of bed and can barely enjoy anything. That's a sort of a very stressful spanner to throw in the world in someone who should be like rejoicing, not not saying should be, you would imagine would be rejoicing being pregnant. So that's probably the most important thread of today is that people have understanding of how sick these people feel and how utterly exhausted they feel. Well, I want to give a a bit of a backstory that I've briefly touched on with one of our episodes previously, and I'm going to admit it here. I had a termination after Billy was born and it was really, 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 really early. Mia and Billy are 16 months apart. I had hyperemesis with both of those children. I fell pregnant. I think, you know, I was breastfeeding still, but you know what? That is definitely not enough to give you or warrant contraception because babies can come through, <laughs> especially with Nick's sperm. But we we got pregnant. I think Billy would have been around uh, four or five months old and I had at three or four weeks, a migraine that did not go away. I couldn't open my eyes and see light. I had to lay very still on the couch. I broke out in really bad acne all over my face. I couldn't look after Billy. I couldn't look after Mia. My husband had to work and the vomiting started about week five. And when I called up to say, I I genuinely mentally know that I can't do this. The pregnancy, another child, this is too much for our family. And they said, you have to wait at least eight weeks because there is a possibility you may miscarry. So you have to wait. So knowing that I was going to make this decision from three or four weeks to wait an extra four weeks to feeling like and it got worse. So it doesn't matter. I took Zofran tablets. I took everything to help me get through, but I was really, really struggling. So I just, I want to put it out there. I'm sorry for people that are trying to conceive and I'm sorry that, you know, people 
you know, get really, really down when people do choose to terminate, but there are so many reasons that we should be able to have the choice to do so because at the end of the day, I don't know where I would be if I yeah. if I made that that other decision. Well, somebody struggling to try and conceive would actually understand the best, the gravity of that decision. I mean, it's not a decision that would be anything but extreme difficult to make and I, I really feel that the thing we should be pushing today is that everyone around that pregnant person should be doing their very best to be supportive and understanding about how severe these symptoms are and just because they're common doesn't mean they're not severe. I mean morning sickness usually starts as I said before about four weeks. It's usually at its most severe between eight and 12 weeks it's not really known what it is about the pregnancy that makes people feel sick. We know from experience that it's more common in people with a multiple pregnancy and it's more common in people with a, a molar pregnancy. And without, without going into what that exactly is, they're both situations where the HCG level would be higher. But it's clearly not a purely HCG-related condition. And there is also... Um, uh, demographic factors. It's it's more common in first pregnancies. It's more common in younger women having their first pregnancy. It's more common in people who are overweight. And there's even a study that showed that it's more common in people having girls. Is that true? How, yes. Oh, yeah, maybe that, that I'll have a boy next. Saying, so hang on a minute. I'm not saying if you feel sick, it means you're having a girl, for goodness sake, please. But it has been shown to be more common in girls. And, I, and there would be absolutely no known reason for that because, let's face it, there's no known reason why it occurs in the first place. You do have an area in your brainstem, in a part of the brainstem called the medulla, which is called the chemoreceptor trigger zone. So it's an area where as the blood runs through that area, there are receptors there that can respond to certain things like food, like medications, and make you feel nauseated or send the message to vomit. So clearly something produced by the pregnancy runs past that area and makes you feel nauseated or nauseated and vomit. And thus, when you're not pregnant anymore, the symptoms go away virtually immediately. Therefore, some women having a miscarriage will know they're miscarrying before they've even had an ultrasound because their symptoms you know, diminish so incredibly quickly. And therefore, most of the medications we use in nausea and vomiting in pregnancy are related to trying to dampen down that brain's response that makes the brain feel nauseated and makes you want to vomit. From a sort of, if you're an anthropologist, you would think, why would pregnancy make someone feel sick? Because if a species wants to survive, it should make a pregnant part of that species feel better That's than ever. That's what I've also thought. And why make birth difficult too? But the protection of a species, surely you would want, you know, a pregnant female feel better when they're pregnant and want to eat when they're pregnant from a nutritional point of view. But the, the again, this is a theory. The theory there is that between four and 12 weeks is one of the most important developmental periods of the pregnancy itself when the specific organs in the pregnancy are being made. Therefore, if 
if you'll allow me to use a word that I absolutely hate, mm. toxins, if the pregnant person was to ingest toxins at that time, that would be the time when it would have the worst effect on the pregnancy. And it's interesting, isn't it, that most foods that people or drinks that people cannot stand when they've got nausea in pregnancy have a strong smell or a very strong taste. And people tend to prefer bland food and food they can't smell. And therefore, if you were thinking out of it from an anthropological point of view, you'd say, well, the most likely food to be toxic to a pregnancy would possibly have a very strong smell or taste. And then, of course, in most people, although, of course, not all, those symptoms of very severe nausea and vomiting settle at about the end of the first trimester, which is usually when most of the specific organ development has been completed. So I, I can find you a sort of a bit of an anthropological explanation for it. And is it to keep us like housebound and not doing like what are seen as dangerous activities or Rock something? Skydiving. Yes, well, out, out in the wild, <laughs> yeah. you would stay in your cave and not eat any sort of forbidden berries. There'd be no cooking in that rock cave. No. And you know, when you think about it that way, it, it, it sort of does fit in with the picture of vomiting in pregnancy. So a lot of patients will come along to their first visit for their obstetric care, regardless of through what means that conduit of care is, and report that they're feeling nauseated, they're feeling tired. And there's been quite a few very good studies done where they look at the way people are handled in, in that situation. And in a lot of cases, there's almost an abject refusal to give people medication or treatment for hyperemesis or, or, or just for nausea and vomiting. And I'll just, if you if you please give me time, I'd just like to explain where a lot of that comes from. No, that's um, all we've got. <laughs> Bye. In the, in the 1950s, there was a medication developed called thalidomide, which was an extremely effective drug for blocking nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. And it was actually an Australian doctor who published an article in one of the most esteemed medical journals, The Lancet, in 1961, where he associated the findings of babies born missing limbs and where the mothers had taken thalidomide. And I don't know if any of you, you're probably all the listeners are a little bit too young, but their mothers or grandmothers will remember these babies that were born with some with no limbs at all and just little buds where their limbs should be. And to give credit where credit due, it was actually a midwife called Patricia Sparrow who noted this and mentioned it to William McBride. And then being a total megalomaniac, he went on to take all the credit for it and went on to be Australian of the Year and get all sorts of knighthoods and all the rest Classic of it. Classic obstetrician, Timmy, classic. Yeah, classic obstetrician. So that led to this absolutely pathological avoidance of medication in pregnancy. And Dr McBride then went on to stage a completely fabricated case against another drug that had been developed called Debendox and published absolutely fraudulent figures for that causing abnormalities because he was obsessed with being the hero again. And so since then, that's the 1960s, 
no drug company will approve medications for use in pregnancy. And indeed, the FDA in America approve Zofran or Ondansetron for use in chemotherapy. But to this mm. day, it's not approved for use in pregnancy because they know the moment they say it's approved for use in pregnancy, as soon as has a baby has any form of abnormality, well, that'll be the Zofran because there's a big drug company I can sue. And funnily enough, thalidomide is still around today because it's used in the treatment of leprosy. Fun fact. So it's trying to to keep your limbs on instead of making them not there. But does that mean, so if it's not approved, has it still been deemed safe? Absolutely. Right. Some of of our Google researchers will find um, (laughs) there are some suggestions that um, ondansetron is associated with an increased risk of cleft lip and palate and also possibly an increased risk of heart defects. But digging deeper into that, the increased risk of cleft lip and palate is like 0.03, which is so negligible. You could even argue that perhaps hyperemesis is associated mm. with an increased risk of cleft lip and palate. And therefore, women taking Zofran are by definition in a higher risk group. But overall, the overwhelming majority of literature and advice from the colleges of obstetrics and gynae will say Zofran or ondansetron is perfectly safe to take in pregnancy, amongst other things which we'll cover. Because we had quite a few women write in saying, what phrase, term, whatever do I have to use to get my doctor to please prescribe me Zofran? Because there were so many people who said they're so unwell, but it's not being prescribed to them. Yeah. Oh, look, this is a, a brick wall that I see people bashing their heads against all the time. For example, I'll give a patient a prescription to take to the pharmacy and the pharmacist will say, oh, you shouldn't take this in pregnancy. And, you know, so these are the sorts of um, walls that have to be broken down. So I would say that, you know, I am feeling nauseated and I am vomiting and I want you to give me something for it. And who came up with morning sickness? Like why did they decide to call it morning sickness? Because it clearly doesn't just happen in the morning. I, I haven't ever seen any written description of that, but my suggestion on that, and I think you two both being experienced at it, would be that often pregnancy nausea and vomiting is worse when you're hungry Mm. or when your stomach is empty. Therefore, you would assume that in the morning your stomach is full of acid, but it it doesn't have any food in it. And therefore, it would be more likely that you would feel nauseated in the morning. Mm. The other thing is that overnight you're not tending to smell food unless mm-hmm. you live next door to a Kentucky fried chicken or something. Yeah. Jade can train. So, <laughs> or a subway, then you'd really feel sick. So that therefore in the night you weren't exposed to any food mm. smell and then in the morning you get up and someone's making coffee, which is a very common aversion, or cooking something or preparing their lunch. A lot of women say they cannot stand the smell of cold chicken being like put into a sandwich, even the texture of Mm. it. So 
I guess that's why it sort of hits people in the morning. But you are correct. There are some people who feel worse at the end of the day. And that will commonly come into my advice because when we talk about the foods that people often feel better eating, I will always say to someone with nausea and vomiting in the early part of pregnancy, don't think of meals as breakfast, lunch, dinner. If you feel better in the morning, have a chicken schnitzel and hot chips for breakfast. You're looking at it. Salada Nitty. with Vegemite for dinner. If that's the way around you want to do it, just eat when you feel you can eat. And uh, sadly, for some, that's never. And if you're feeling at your worst, you know, eat the simplest things then. The other thing is, if you find certain medication is effective in making you feel less nauseated, take the medicine, have the prep food pre prepared, preferably by someone else so you haven't smelt it. And then half an hour after you took the medication, when you're feeling most protected, eat the food and hopefully hold it down then. Isn't it crazy? I would open like something that I would never, ever think or smell or go ooh about. I would open the pantry cupboard and there was just, when I was pregnant, there was a smell like bread or something so simple that every time I opened that pantry, I would vomit. I just could not deal with it. And I was going to say, this is also your permission slip. If you have a partner that drinks coffee, this is your permission slip to tell them that they're not allowed to make it at home in the morning. If they're going to work, they can get a takeaway on the way to work. They can have it when they get to work or they can, if they're not going to work, they can go for a walk and get it outside of the house because the smell of coffee. But also people. Well, our unicorn Bertha Shimmy, (laughs) she would know she was pregnant before she did a pregnancy test because that morning she could not face a cup of coffee and from four hours after the delivery felt like a cup of coffee. That's hilarious. Oh, the poor love. She couldn't drink coffee while she, she was pregnant. Oh, what a dog. But of course, that was back before we sort of had coffee. Yeah. It was like Nescafe or International Roast or some other coffee variant. I don't knock that. I drink that every morning. I love it. I think another thing that pregnant people really struggle with is the guilt of feeling like they're not nourishing their mm. baby when they feel sick. I mean, I would like to think that generally I'm like quite a healthy person. I I think about eating a well-balanced diet. And so if you're like that, then you look ahead at when you're pregnant and you think, oh, I'm going to, you know, eat this and eat that and keep a little bit active. And then all of a sudden, all you can have is beige food. What, like, should we be worried? Yep. That's, I was hoping we'd cover that. So let's start pre-pregnancy. If you can have yourself taking prenatal vitamins prior to the pregnancy, prior to when you're feeling sick, if you can have yourself at an ideal weight, that will be helpful in early pregnancy. And also if you're, you know, I mean, we would always say as part of the pastoral side of being a doctor that you try and bring yourself to pregnancy in the best psychological condition you can. Therefore, that's the best possible start for facing something as negative as this. Then in early pregnancy, when the symptoms are at their most severe, start with the simple management options and I'll go through them. And then if necessary, work your way up through the levels of intervention that can be there to help you with your nausea and vomiting. And then be reassured that in normal pregnancy, nausea and vomiting, it is not associated with an increased risk of pregnancy complications. 
clearly, for reasons I said before, there's a lower risk of miscarriage. But in normal nausea and vomiting of pregnancy, there's no increased risk of birth defects, of small for dates, babies, of premature labour or of stillbirth. So in normal nausea and vomiting of pregnancy, I, I want to reassure you that no matter what action you've needed to take to treat it, your baby and your pregnancy should proceed uneventfully. In severe hyperemesis, there is an association with small for dates babies, and that would be hardly unexpected because a person may really be quite malnourished and also an increased risk of premature delivery and even of placental abruption. But I don't want to scare you with that because that's talking about an extremely small fraction of people who get nausea and vomiting in pregnancy, even though that is quite a large fraction of people who are pregnant. So the sorts of things you could do medication-wise in early pregnancy, because obviously I'll talk about diet, but medication-wise, the ones that people would have heard of is ginger supplements. So even I think one of the Blackmore's pregnancy multivitamins has um, ginger in it. Vitamin B6, pyridoxin has you know been used for many years and in mild cases of nausea and vomiting helps. Then the next step up is antihistamine type medications. I felt bad because the last time we talked about vomiting in pregnancy on this podcast, I forgot the antihistamines. The oldest fashion one is called polaramine, but I would recommend against that because it does tend to make you feel very drowsy. That's the one that pharmacists will tend to recommend. I guess polaramine would be good, particularly if it's your first baby in the evening, because it may help you get to sleep and then sleep and not feel nauseated. But the modern antihistamines like Zyrtec, Telfast can help with nausea. Then you move on to the like true anti-nausea medications, and that's Maxilon, which is perfectly safe to take in pregnancy. It's been shown to improve both nausea and vomiting, but is much better at the nausea than it is at the vomiting. And Stematil, which a lot of people would have heard of, that tends to be a medication that's better for nausea in what we'd refer to as vestibular-type nausea. So that's nausea you get when you go on a whizzy-dizzy with Poppy and you're spinning around at the park and you get off and your head's spinning and you feel like throwing up. So when you're hungover. Safe to say I would not be getting on the whizzy-dizzy pregnant with Poppy. I'm not getting on one again after that time with Poppy and Flinders. (laughs) Would you get on the whizzy-dizzy with me? We don't tend to use Stematol. After a few drinks. And then the next step up from that is, of course, Zofran, which was developed in sort of the early 1990s. It was originally a chemotherapy drug. I remember being involved in studies that were being done on using that, first of all, in chemotherapy, and then it was used as a post-operative nausea medication, and there were comparative trials done between that and the other anti-nausea drugs. And the thing about ondansetron is it has been shown to be effective in both the reduction of nausea and vomiting. The main side effects with Zofran, and I know a lot of people listening would have taken it, is constipation. Oh, God, yeah. One of the advantages of it is that it's not sedating. Sadly, in Jade's case, it can cause headaches. 
but it is constipating and it is expensive and it comes in ridiculously small allocations where you can get 10 tablets. So what I always do is give patients the eight milligram doses so that they can divide that tablet, you know, so they get eight milligram tablets times 10 instead of four milligrams times 10. So with all these medications you take, get yourself a pill cutter from the pharmacy or from your nearest meth lab. (laughs) Use that to cut the pills into smaller doses, but you can in fact take up to 24 milligrams of ondansetron a day. But can we also say, because there's lots of people that don't know it, ondansetron comes in wafers. That's the best part of it is that when you're feeling that sick, you don't feel like taking a tablet. So just know that you can get it in wafers that can just dissolve under or on top of your tongue and that's it. So the wafers look like a tablet. So don't imagine something that looks like a acid tab breakfast cereal it's it looks like a tablet it's very easy to cut and you put it on your tongue and occasionally i have patients who really don't like the taste very um, sweet of it on their tongue it tastes like an artificial sugar so you might want to take it with a mint so that you can disguise the taste of it on your tongue the idea of it absorbing into your tongue is that if you vomit immediately it's still in your bloodstream Mm. already Although some people prefer the tablets and they're just as easy to cut and they're just as easy to use and use the same dose. I mean, for what it's worth, Zofran is a dopamine antagonist, but so it does work a different way to Maxillon and that's why it's more effective. And as I said, more expensive, not sedating and can cause headaches. And it's really now the mainstay of nausea treatment and vomiting treatment in early pregnancy. Like if a patient sees me for the first visit and they're struggling with nausea and vomiting, I mean, I ask if they're taking B6 and if they're on a multivitamin. And you mentioned about worrying about your nutrition. If you're on Elevit or a multivitamin tablet, and they're often very large tablets, which you can't swallow, I have two recommendations there. The first is that the most important multivitamin you'd be getting would be iodine and folate. So you can get a bottle of like 200 folate tablets for under $10 and they are tiny tablets and easy to swallow. So just take them while you're waiting to feel better to take the larger tablet or get out your trusty pill cutter and cut your Elevit into multiple smaller pieces and um, try taking it that way. Avoid anything with a lot of iron in it because iron tablets are both nauseating and constipating. But look from four weeks to 12 weeks or 14 weeks, if you're on just a folate tablet, that's absolutely fine. So that was part of the answer to your, should I be worried my baby's not getting enough? Can I say one tip while we're here is something I didn't even think about, and I don't know why, but so many people wrote in that something that helped them when they had pregnancy sickness. So if if theirs was worse, you know, the stereotypical worse in the morning, they'd take their multivitamin at night. And I feel like I never thought to do that because I was like, oh, you take your vitamin in the morning. But of course you can take it at night. And another thing with the ondansetron, you know, 
if people are finding that it's not working for them. When I was at my worst, because it's like a PRN medication, which is like take it as needed, I feel like a lot of people feel like they can't take it until they're feeling unwell. But when I was at my worst, I had to literally take it basically before my eyes would open in the morning because if I started on the cycle of being sick, no matter how much I took, it couldn't get me back to feeling okay or stopping vomiting. So that would be one tip. I just had to, for a while there, not even wait to see if I felt sick, which I would have, and just take it before the onset even started. Medication in general is always better if it's a preventative measure than if it's a treatment. I have another tip as well. Never ever wait until you think that you are so unwell, like as you're saying, to take that tablet because I got to a point of going, I can't even walk anymore and then I would go into the hospital and they every time would say to me, Jade, it is so easy for us to put you on a a drip and give you fluids and as soon as they put fluids in me, I was a new woman and they said don't get to the point of being so unwell because it's so easy for us to just get that done for you and then you can can go home. And with the ondansetron because I found it so constipating but then I would be in this catch-22 where like what was recommended to take would be Movicol for the constipation and obviously fluids are better for the constipation but you feel so sick that you can't drink anything but Movicol has to be dissolved down in water and I couldn't even drink the water to have the Movicol. What do you normally recommend is the best thing to kind of counteract either pregnancy constipation or constipation from the Zofran? Yeah, well, certainly Coloxal comes as a tiny like enteric coated tablets, like a really slippery, easy tablet to swallow. Um, so Coloxal's good. Lactulose is great, but it, you do have to swallow 20 mils of it. But on that on that subject about swallowing things and feeling sick in the morning, a very underestimated part of treating nausea in pregnancy is antacids. One of the reasons why you feel so sick in the stomach and and feel that acid sensation is excessive acid production associated with pregnancy and also pregnancy tends to dampen down your body's ability to move things from mouth to anus. So you're you're sort of not as good at conducting things. And that's what Maxilon is very good at stimulating that. So I would recommend like an antacid, you can take Mylanta tablet, Gaviscon chewable tablet. They're not difficult to chew or swallow. And then we don't have Zantac anymore. That's gone off the market, but you can take Nexium, which you can either get on prescription, which enables you to get a lot more tablets, but you can also just buy it over the counter. But don't just take Nexium when you're feeling bad. You need to take that every day because Nexium is working not by absorbing the acid you've made, like my lantern would, it works by stopping you from making the acid mm. in the first place. So at a first pregnancy visit, if you've got really bad nausea and vomiting, I will prescribe both Zofran and Nexium. And Nexium is also a very small tablet. And I'm assuming that's why so many people get frustrated in that last trimester, you know, above 30 weeks, the vomiting comes back. But that that would generally be like acid-related, right, Correct. rather than... Yeah. yeah. And then the next step up from that, is a steroid medication like prednisolone, which can be given in an oral form or even intravenously. And that does significantly make people feel better. 
it's it's sort of not the last resort, but it's certainly for significantly severe cases. And if somebody starts on that, they need to be careful to wind down the dose slowly. So you'd start on as high a dose as 40 milligrams a day. And we have plenty of data to say that's safe in pregnancy because people who've had severe rheumatoid arthritis or asthma or like organ transplants and things like that are often on ongoing prednisolone in pregnancy and there's no associated adverse outcome for the baby. And then Jade brought up a really good point. So to have intravenous fluids, so we've started with what can be done at home and then the next step would be to have IV fluids, but as a, like a day case type procedure. So you would go to a hospital, they would put you in a day room, give you two or even three litres of intravenous fluid and some of your anti-nausea medication intravenously. So it's definitely hit the spot and you'll feel so much better. Now, of course, that doesn't last because you're going to go home and feel sick again, but it certainly put you ahead mm. and you'll find that You'll go home and you'll be passing more urine and you'll be feeling better in yourself. And even if you have to do that two or three times a week, you know, we're talking about a finite length of time and don't be embarrassed about it. You deserve this treatment. You deserve to feel well. So if it means popping in and having a regular appointment to get some intravenous fluids, you're, you're not a lower priority over any other patient. They I actually love that, you because yeah. you're the easy and one. And I found that like often, you know, when I'd go into hospital, I'd never organised it as a day case. Mine was always through emergency when I was at an absolute wit's end. And even though obviously before going in there I was feeling at my worst, often the next two to three days afterwards I would actually feel so much better. And I think it's because that dehydration makes you feel so lousy as well that if you were doing it routine, routinely, you might actually get to the yep. next time feeling okay. And in those intravenous fluids, while you're in hospital, they'll send off bloods to make sure you don't have any electrolyte imbalance, like an abnormal sodium or potassium level. They can also give you thiamine to make sure that your liver enzymes will work normally because sometimes with um, hyperemesis, you can get abnormal liver function tests, abnormal kidney function. So anything else that needs to be replaced at the time of the fluids can be replaced mm. or corrected at the time of those intravenous fluids. And really, I mean, I guess if termination of pregnancy is the absolute end of the line, one step short of that would be to actually receive what's called parenteral nutrition. So that's where a large bore intravenous line is put in and they actually put food into your circulation. So special intravenous fluids that contain protein, glucose, fats, things like that, and vitamins so that you can basically live without eating. Wow. That's extraordinarily rare, but it is there. Mm. And, um, again, if you've been waiting for this pregnancy a long time and you're extremely unwell due to hyperemesis, you know, that's another treatment that's available to you. I think what I loved hearing at one of my hospital visits was a doctor who came in and checked me and gave me some fluids on my way out. I said, how, like, how is this baby alive when I'm not even eating anything but like a cracker? Like how on earth is it possible? And he said, honestly, you feel like absolute shit and death, but that baby is getting anything and everything that you get. 
anything that you eat, anything that you drink, that baby is way better off than you are. So you're just taking the brunt. And it made me feel so much better knowing. So much better. Yeah, the baby was okay, (laughs) but I feel like shit for it. Yeah. Probably you could fit the nutritional requirements of a 12-week baby, its daily nutritional requirements on the head of a pin. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so true, actually. I didn't think of it. Pregnancy is one of the most you know, effective parasites <laughs> that there is. And it knows that within your body, it's got everything it needs and, and that will tend to go into your circulation and through the placenta. And even when you're severely dehydrated and and, and requiring hospitalisation, that baby will still be getting what it needs. So getting back to that, like in terms of when does someone need to go to hospital, mm. well, one of the classic terms that's used to describe hyperemesis is that you've lost more than 5% of your body weight. So that's one of the rare times when I'd say to somebody in pregnancy, it's not a bad idea to weigh yourself and just see if your total weight will reflect your dehydration because dehydration is very hard to like measure clinically in any objective way. I mean, if someone's got a dry tongue, you know, dropping their blood pressure, dizzy, sure. But absolutely 5% of loss of weight is an indication they're severely dehydrated. And of course, you wouldn't have put on any weight due to the pregnancy at that stage. And it's interesting, there is a scale that's used in obstetrics for the measuring of the severity of hyperemesis. And I love reading the scale because it uses the term throwing up. And it it made me realise there's so many great terms for vomiting. Let's go through them, shall we? Spewing. So spewing. Munting, but I think munting's just Victorian. I say it up here and no one knows what I'm talking about. I think the word chunder has a mm, certain I love sort chunder. Of three-dimensional sound to it. It does. Which probably doesn't fit with pregnancy. It's more you've eaten a dodgy pizza and you're chunder. Yeah. You can hear it bouncing off the toilet bowl when yeah. you say chunder. What about yeah. how to vom? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let, I think everyone, just as an aside, should write down a list of terms for vomiting. That's your homework. Now, let's get back to sensible things. Now, the Tim Sturrock method of having a drip at home is I recommend to people that they get a drink flask, preferably about a litre, and it's got either a straw or a pop top on it so they cannot smell the drink they're drinking and that they carry it with them at all times so that they are sipping on it very, very regularly. And that is really like having a drip. You're getting two or three mils every, you know, 10 or 15 seconds. But one of the things is you've avoided the smell of the drink, which will avoid nausea. But if you put the same drink in that flask every time, you'll have an immediate aversion to the taste of it when it hits your tongue. So what I tell people to do is to, every time they refill the flask, put a different flavoured drink in it. Right. So vary from very cold to cool, vary from fizzy to not fizzy, vary from orange, red, green, yellow flavoured, tonic water, soda water, anything you want, but make the flavour different every time so that as you sip it, you don't think, oh, no, not that, I'm going to vomit. And it is a good idea if it's a sugary drink because if you're going to hold down some fluid, 
yeah, water's great for your hydration, but it's not in any way good for your nutrition. So if you drink Gatorade or, or soft drink in it, then at least you're getting some sugar, which is at least one constituent of what you need in your diet. Wow. So it's the only time that soft drink's been classed as nutritious. <laughs> and then, as I said before, tell people to eat whatever you want to eat. It, most people who've got nausea and vomiting in pregnancy feel like eating very salty food and very bready food so they like buns donuts crackers hot chips and usually very salty hot chips Toasties. so like a salada with vegemite Ooh, yeah. when you're particularly tenuous and something no like butter. a salty chicken schnitzel and hot chips when you're feeling a bit better and yeah do not worry about having a bad diet in inverted commas you're just eating to live at this stage and you're drinking fluids to avoid having to have a drip and there's nothing wrong with that and so the the principles of looking after you are to keep you hydrated to keep your electrolytes normal to keep your nutrition acceptable and to keep you psychologically well and then one thing we haven't mentioned is, of course, other treatments for nausea and vomiting. Things like acupuncture can be very effective. I've even had a patient who went to an osteopath, and I'm not sure what they did, but it worked. So it doesn't matter. If it works, it works. The other one is um, meditation and also um, hypnosis. The, the worst case of hyperemesis I ever looked after in my whole career, her saving grace was hypnosis. And one of the anaesthetists I worked with had an interest in hypnosis and offered to go and see her for me. And whilst it didn't cure her and she then had a hyperemesis in her next pregnancy, it got her through. So wow. I'm not being dismissive of any of the alternative options because if they work for you, they work for you and that's all that matters. Speaking of her having hyperemesis in a subsequent pregnancy, if you have had, you know, severe vomiting or hyperemesis, what are your chances that you're then going to have that in another pregnancy? Have you ever seen someone who's had hyperemesis and then they've enjoyed the first trimester of their next pregnancy? Oh, absolutely. And I've seen people who had a trouble-free first pregnancy, then a terrible second one. And there's a lovely lady who lives locally who had terrible hyperemesis in her first two pregnancies. And when she came for the first visit in her third pregnancy, I pulled the lovely card she'd written me after her second delivery out of her file, which said, glad you said file. Dear Tim, thanks for all your care, but I will never be seeing you again. <laughs> and I said to her, Sophie, this was a Sophie, you weren't coming back to see me again. She got really bad morning sickness. But survived. Wait, so she did for the third she one. Came back oh, for the third. That's not a happy story. Wouldn't, but I was very, very happy to see her. And in fact, actually, that pregnancy was absolutely nothing compared to the previous ones and and relatively was very straightforward first trimester. If it's any glimmer of hope for anyone out there, I definitely had high premises with Poppy through till about 30 weeks. And I will say, even though I would never in a million years say that I enjoyed my first trimester with Goldie, it was nothing in comparison. I had a vom every day, but it wasn't the all day like really, really dark thoughts pregnancy that I had the first time around. Although this wouldn't apply to you because, you know, you're medically trained yourself and your dad's an obstetrician, 
there'd be a lot of people out there that the severity of their morning sickness in their first pregnancy was related to a lack of treatment and a lack of recognition that I have the right to be treated and there are treatments here for me. So hopefully someone who's either planning to get pregnant or is in their first trimester can now feel comfortable to go to the doctor and say, I want some medication. I want to be treated for this. This is a real Mm. thing. Stop just saying, oh, it's a normal part of early pregnancy. So therefore, it's probably commonly less severe in a second pregnancy because that person has strategically already knows some of the tactics to use. So they know how to handle their fluids, handle their diet, what works Yeah, that's for them. so true. And I, think I think you're being less stoic the next time as well because you're like, I have another child to look after. I cannot feel how I felt last time. Like but- I have to just get in there and hit this on the head. And that is, especially for people that have children that they do have to look after, you don't have the option of, oh, no, I'll give today a go and see how I go. I think you have to just go, you know what, I know that I'm feeling sick and I'm going to, I think the things that you've mentioned, Timmy, today about sipping all throughout the day and doing what you can, if you have to take medication, if you have to go and get that IVF and, you know, get grandma, IVF, (laughs) IV drip instead of, you know, and get grandma to watch your first child, then do so, do whatever it takes just to get through. Because I don't think you know, I wasn't educated and I was just going through the motions of, is this what I should do? I'm not sure. And I didn't have the confidence in myself to go, this is what I need to get through. And if I had have had that, I think it would have been a completely different story. I think it's the same thing as when we were speaking to the women's physios about, you know, like postpartum incontinence. Mm. Because something is common, we just assume we we have have to to suck it it. up and deal with it. But actually, just like that, there's things we can do to manage it. So our whole lives we're told, oh, yeah, everyone feels sick when they're pregnant. So when that happens to you, you go, oh, well, I made this decision to have a child, so I just have to suck it up and deal with it. But, like, no, there. I mean, look, I'm not saying that. You know, there were still days when I took on Danzatron that I was shocking. It's not like it's always you know click of a finger and you're you're ready to go. But yeah, it's it's just because something's common doesn't mean it has to be endured. Yeah, well, I remember once coming up to visit Sophie, and you know, people might be looking forward to me bringing a bunch of flowers or something like that. But I came up with 40 on Danzatrons in a bag and gave them to her. Wow, you're a real hero, a real-life hero. (laughs) That was the most I've ever loved you. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing is in preparation for a second pregnancy, for example, you know, why do you take multivitamins and things like that? So have your iron level checked and then you don't have to worry about taking any iron in a multivitamin and practice on some bland foods to see which ones you find sort of the easiest to eat. And there's no doubt that being preventative about these things and ready to go will make your next pregnancy easier. Is there a reason that postpartum, I feel like it happens with pregnancy and with birth, it's so easy to forget what you've gone through and look back on it a bit with rose-coloured glasses. Is that like a hormone thing? Because I feel like I look back on my pregnancy with Poppy and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember it was shit, but I can't like properly remember it, whereas Nick remembers it as me being like absolutely miserable. Like I feel like he remembers it more than I do. I don't think we would give birth. Is it? Is that a way knew. for us to go back and do it again? Yeah, well, I mean, this would be the sort of question that 
people who write comments would say, well, what would he know? He's never been pregnant and he's never experienced this. But in fact, having looked after pregnant people for 30 years, I do know because I've seen them not only back for their next pregnancy, but I've seen them back to see me when that child that they were so sick during the pregnancy is now 15. And the length of time of suffering just seems to compact with time. And to give you an example, I had a lady once who had to be in hospital for, I think it was like 12 weeks during a pregnancy. And so every single day I went in to see her and every single day she was just, you know, crying and desperate to get home. But when I saw her, no more than a couple of years later, it was like, oh, yeah, I had to go into hospital for a little while. But <laughs> oh, my gosh. And the baby's fine. You know, obviously, I think if we go back to this anthropology that I've been flogging today. Flog it. Flog it, Timmy. It would be a very healthy anthropological, you know, mechanism that people forget the bad things about childbirth and pregnancy and and tend to have those rose-coloured glasses on and and do feel positive about future pregnancy. And I don't think it would be a hormonal thing. I think it would just be a psychological thing. And while some experiences will scar us in such a way that we will have great difficulty moving on from them, pregnancy, particularly if it's associated with a good outcome, will be less likely to scar Mm. us because there was such a positive, beautiful outcome at the end of it. So if you feel sick for 40 weeks and then procure a poppy pierce from it, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to get over than if you were in a bank robbery and you got shot in the leg. Yeah. It's just I think it's going to be that, that your brain's mechanisms for dealing with things would tend to be positive. But I will say that that's not to underestimate that some people with the most severe cases, as I've already mentioned, will get a true post-traumatic stress from it, a higher risk of post-delivery psychological and psychiatric issues, and that you should be very careful in watching these people through in the postnatal period and beyond to make sure that they feel supported and they can reach out for help because they may have a lot of guilt about negative feelings that they are having. Support is a huge, huge player in pregnancy and you really can't shy away from the people that are around you and some people just need to be told that you need support and you need help and you can't do it. Yeah, and if you're lucky to have people around you that can help, like I feel like there's so much emphasis on asking for help once you've had a baby, but and you know, I've, of course, I think that's a great thing. But I think the time that I needed the most help was when Poppy was a toddler, and I was pregnant with Goldie more so than when Goldie was born. Mm. Oh yeah, so let's hope this episode for those who listen to it not only dis- demystifies it, and I hope gives some good ideas for the management. But also I hope that it it stresses that this is a real thing and you've got every right to feel sorry for yourself and to feel the need to seek support. We're just going to finish off the episode on a high note. We asked our beautiful listeners for what helped their morning sickness. A lot of oh, people yes. said the things that we have already mentioned today. A lot of people a lot of people said giving birth, which I don't that was think, the best one. I don't think that gives that much hope out there, but I do remember the day that I gave birth to Poppy was the first day that I could scull a bottle of water 
water and I turned around to Nick and I said, I feel like eating a salad, which was just so foreign for me. But we'll say some of the things that people sent in. I had a cheeseburger, in all honesty, as soon as I gave birth, but, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) Um, Okay, here we go. Ginger chews, ginger biscuits, ginger ale, ginger tea, mini gingerbread, not large. Mini. Yes, I read that person's message. I can't stand large gingerbread men, but I loved the mini gingerbread men. <laughs> ice, I think they mean like the frozen water substance. If they mean the other kind of ice, good on you, but we can't recommend it. Yep. Cold Coke, pretzels, dry crackers on the bedside table for when you wake up. Yep. Great idea. Absolute game changer. No matter how sick you are, I think having a really dry, dry cracker by your bed before before you open open eyes. your eyes, you need to reach over and pop that thing in your gob. Or a salada. Uh, sour candy. Vegemite toast. I loved Vegemite toast. Red rooster chips. Oh, what is it about that? Hungover or pregnant with morning sickness? Yeah, I think it's the chicken salt on them. Yeah. I, I will say that red rooster are the clubhouse leader <laughs> for vomiting in pregnancy. I think also this is not normally a good point for hot chips, but red rooster chips are notoriously a bit soggy. And so if you have those chips and then you throw up, I feel like it's a little bit easier than a really crispy chip. Oh, I agree. Macca's hash browns. Oh, licking lemon slices. Oh. You do, you girl. Lollies, but they have to be kept in the fridge. Yeah, Yeah, ice fruit. A lot of people like a cool thing. That's why I said varying the temperature from cool to cold, um, warm or loop warm drinks tend not to be good. I liked keeping cucumbers in the fridge and eating them because they're so bland and I felt like at least they're mainly water so this can make up for the fact that I can't actually drink any. Or maybe dip the tip of it in a bit of sugar so that you're getting a little bit of glucose in with it because, yeah, a cucumber is like 99%. (laughs) And I'd have ice cold watermelon. I remember posting something Mm, one day and I was like, Oh, my God, how good is cold fruit salad? And I reckon 50 people said, you're pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Cheezles. Smoothie made into ice blocks. Who are you, you legend? That's quite a good idea, though, because I don't think I could have a smoothie. Fruit tingles. Acupuncture and green apples. I'm not sure if they've been at the same time or separately. Oh, showers and sitting on the floor, vomiting down the drain. Look, if you're having an absolute barry of a day. Just go sit in the shower. Go sit and it, it makes you feel so good. And also if you're trying to brush your teeth, Sophie and I were talking about this. Oh, I forgot to mention teeth brushing. Sorry, um, that is one of the prime inspirations for vomiting. People will finally get some breakfast down and then go and brush your teeth. So go and get some Listerine. It comes in lots of different flavours and swish that round through your mouth. It's also a good idea because if you vomit a lot, it's very bad for your teeth. Yeah, yeah. and your breath stinks. And therefore um, slushing some Listerine is easily good enough to replace brushing your teeth for a short period of time. Yeah, a lot of people say, I was going fine until I brushed my teeth. <laughs> yeah, and then Jade and I were saying if Listerine doesn't work, often brushing your teeth in the shower does work and just using the tiniest bit of toothpaste or get like kids' toothpaste or something, which doesn't have as intense of a flavour. Yeah. And even like with the drink, mixing up what toothpaste you use and your molars just have to just, 
take a back seat for a little while. They're not getting a heavy brush for a solid few months. Frozen Coke. Fresh air. Yeah, fresh air is a hard one. Fresh air does help. Does it? But, yeah, I remember I would get in fights with mum on the phone because she would say to me, you just have to leave the house. Like you have to just go and have a walk and it would. T- I would be so angry at her because I would be like, you do not understand what's going on. But it is so much better. And I remember my friend Katie who was so, so sick, her partner forced her to go to the beach with him and she was really mad because she's like, it's taking everything in me to get to the beach and she said you know what I still felt sick at the beach but at least I was somewhere else she's like I could do a little vom in the sand and cover it up in sand but she's like "I I felt shit but it felt better being somewhere other than where I've been feeling shit for the past however long. Yeah, sleep. Look, it, it's never nice to sleep when you feel nauseated 24-7, but when you do get those little naps and you wake up, you're like, oh, my God, it's now 12 o'clock. I've gotten through nearly the whole day. Yeah, if you can. If you can. If you can't. So has this, has this inspired you to try for number three sooner rather than later? It makes me feel. if it hasn't. I feel it's it's a failure. We won't even put it to air. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I had already come to terms with the fact that hopefully next year we will get pregnant again. It does, like, do things to me even thinking about it. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. I instantly feel quite anxious thinking about it. But I do think after reading these and listening to these, I just want to go into it, you know, not manifesting that I'm going to feel shit, but I've come to terms with I'm probably not going to enjoy the first little while and I just have to try all these little things. I have to surrender to not not thinking a day is a success just because I'm productive, which is what I was so bad at when I was pregnant with Goldie. I would be so hard on myself because I didn't get through the washing or I, you know, didn't get out of the house with Poppy and I just need to surrender to that. And if I need to outsource help like I don't know, getting someone in to come and do the washing or something, then I'm just going to do what I can. Outsourcing I've got sorted because I think what I should do is come up and look after Poppy and Goldie for three months. All yours, Timmy, all yours. Great. All right, you guys can discuss this on a... I'll let you know as I'm conceiving, Timmy, and you can book your flights. (laughs) I think we've got one. All right, let's just leave it on that note, everyone. You're welcome. Timmy, thank you so much for coming on the potty and chatting all things morning sickness and more. Oh, it's been great to be back. I'm so excited. I've got little Dulcie now. It's so good. We're going to see each other for Christmas. It's just fantastic. I wish everyone a very happy Christmas and hopefully with the um, cloud of COVID lifting now, we can all get back together and realise how special it is to all be together. Absolutely. And enjoy your pregnancies. Mine. I'm not having any more. (laughs) Everyone else. Sorry. Thank you, Timmy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.